You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! Unbelievable! Just flew by him for a second time. Tua knew where he was going right away. How the hit is that up, man? I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. To a shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown. Okay. It's Waddle. His sixth touchdown six pass touchdown of the day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, golf fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, we are recapping the Scouting Combine 2023. We've checked another box in the draft process season. What changed from the workouts and the week that was in Indy? How do each position stack up through the Dolphins' lens? Who really put their name on the map? All of that and more, plus we'll look around the league a little bit as well. From the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex, this is... The drive time podcast. Let's go ahead and kick this podcast off with a little bit of news as the new league year just around the corner. We had franchise tag deadline yesterday, all kinds of moving and shaking really across 12 months in the National Football League. And the Miami Dolphins were part of the Tuesday news. Adam Schefter from ESPN reports the Dolphins plan to release cornerback Byron Jones with a post-June 1 designation. Again, that from Schefter. The Dolphins also plan to release tight end Seathan Carter and offered the exclusive rights free agency uh, to safety Elijah Campbell, who I thought was really, really good on his role in special teams the last couple of years. And uh, some spot duty as kind of a dime safety, a sub-package defensive back who can come into the game and rush the quarterback. He's a great tackler off the edge. Big fan of Elijah Campbell's game. I think he's earned the right to uh, to really make a name for himself on the roster. And the Dolphins will give him that chance, provided he does not sign a tender with another club. So Byron Jones, per Adam Schefter, will be released, released post-June 1. Uh, tight end Ethan Carter has been released. And safety Elijah Campbell, exclusive rights, free agent. Before we go back to Combine News, we had some NFL news that came across the wire on Monday when I'm taping this show. Probably a good chance I'll have to do some editorializing uh, on Tuesday as stuff seems to be picking up with regards to the veteran market, players being released. I saw that, um, who was the linebacker? Eric Hendricks was released from the Vikings. Love his game. Think he's a great player um, that could be a good fit for a lot of teams in this upcoming cycle. There's going to be lots of players released that don't count against your compensatory formula. It just makes the process really interesting to see how teams attack it, how they approach it. Trades are going to change things. Like I mentioned, the veterans that get cut will change things. The class you see right now for next week's free agency crop is not what it will be next week when that comes up. But we did get the first domino to fall on the most important part every single offseason, the quarterback carousel, which can hold things up sometimes if there isn't much movement. And we get some movement here. And it should get some clarity on some other veteran moves. Now, the two top dominoes that would still have to fall have not. That would be Lamar Jackson and Aaron Rodgers. Though I tend to think the former of that listing, Lamar Jackson, I think he stays put. And I tend to think the latter, Aaron Rodgers, I think he might retire. But we'll talk about that in another day. But Derek Carr goes to the Saints. And how nice is it to see a quarter, 
a good quarterback leave the AFC and go to the NFC after last year. And, you know, we didn't expect Russell Wilson to have the year he had in Denver. But after seeing Russell Wilson go to the AFC, after seeing well Deshaun Watson change teams but stay in the AFC, after seeing Herbert, Bua, Burrow, Tua, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, all these top-of-the-line quarterbacks drafted into the AFC over the last several years, you have eight teams that feel like they have future franchise quarterbacks or, or current franchise quarterbacks you know, on the right side of age, like 27, it just makes for a challenging conference. So seeing, you know, I wouldn't put Carr in that category, but seeing him leave the conference, that makes me happier. But what happens now with Aaron Rodgers? And the, the reason I bring all this up is because I think we all hope that the Jets are the ones that get left without a chair once the music stops, right? Part of me is intrigued by the idea of Rodgers, you know, maybe going to the Jets half in. I, I don't know if that would be the case, but if it is, that would be awesome. But I do think that in his mind, it would make more sense to choose either an NFC team to stay in the weaker of the two conferences. Let's be completely you know, transparent about that. Or retirement, because I don't think you contemplate this hard when you're all the way in. I mean, you don't. That's a, that's a fact. <clears throat> but just based on all the content he's provided, I think he's, he's going to lean more towards that direction in the future in, in the media world, and I'm sure he can make a bunch of money doing Pat McAfee. But the reason I bring up all of this is because it's worth watching because it impacts 11.8% of the Dolphins' games next year. Two games, right? Divide two by 17. I already did the math for you. It's 11.8%, uh, two out of 17 games. So no need for jokes there. And with Carr going to the Saints, does Jameis Winston become available? Like I said, court, the players that are out there right now is not what you're going to get next week when the new league year starts. So that's what's going on in terms of the veteran market. And we're going to talk about free agency on Friday and Monday's podcast. Get you ready for uh, the, it's not called legal tampering anymore. What's it called? I, I, I forget. The, the negotiation window. We'll, we'll talk about that in the next couple of podcasts. But how about the combine week? Now, we did have a great interview with Alec Ingold on the Monday podcast, and if you have not checked that out, go go do so. We also had um, the Combine interview recap on YouTube. Go over to the YouTube channel, and if I, I don't ask for much here, but if you want to support myself and the team here, really mostly myself, that's what we're, we're talking about right now, go click on all the content that includes me. Uh, the, the YouTube recap, watch the Alec Ingold video on YouTube and the podcast. It just really helps numbers go up, helps me look good to my bosses, and it makes uh, the numbers just, you know, everyone wins when the numbers are higher. So if you want to support the podcast that way for free, doesn't cost you any money, go ahead and do that. But we had some really big time guests on a fun week of interviews talking about this exciting 2023 Dolphins team that we're all so eager to see built and eventually go out there and perform in August and into the season in September. And that starts, well, it starts back in the fall for the scouting staff, but the real big turn of the page to draft season usually occurs at the Senior Bowl, but bleeding into scouting combine. The two events are a month apart. For me, personally, it feels like they're a week apart. That's how fast this time of the year goes by. And man, what a week it was, not just from our own content, but this impressive class of athletes and young men. I put some general thoughts on Twitter, and I want to expand upon those before giving you more detail on the workouts that really stood out and the context behind them. So just going in order of position groups here, let's go ahead and start with the offense and the QBs, which we know Miami's not probably in the quarterback market, uh, especially at the top of the draft. You, You know, I think the quarterback market they would be in would involve veteran backup options. I, I I don't envision a scenario where any top pick or any pick for the Dolphins, for that matter, is the backup quarterback next year, but you never know. Uh, as far as the quarterbacks in this year's class, though, I think the Anthony Richardson workout 
and tape juxtaposition brings the most important debate in the sport to the table. And this is where I want to go with this because, again, we're not looking at quarterbacks in this year's draft class. But I go back and forth on this. And first, you guys that are daily listeners of the show know that I have been clamoring over this prospect since his first start at UF back in 2021. And that wasn't even necessarily for the game. Well, it was because he had like a 55-yard touchdown run where he was the fastest person on the field. But the back handspring backflip he pulled off at halftime, I was watching that like, that is a specimen. That is a guy that's going to jump 40 inches in the vertical, probably run a 4-4 and give us more than 10 feet on the broad jump. And sure enough, those were all the things that he did. Now, I didn't think exactly that, but with hindsight, you can go back and piece those things together. And it's the same thing that really, you know, I was so fascinated by Josh Allen. I remember thinking or uh, sending a DM to Mark Sessler of the Around the NFL podcast. I used to, you know, conversate with him quite frequently uh, just about random stuff. And he was a big Browns fan and he was uh, really intrigued by that 2018 class. And I was telling him Baker Mayfield looks like a good prospect. Didn't really hit that one, but I did tell him Josh Allen was a guy that could change things for you. And I did the Rock Pile Report podcast, a Buffalo Bills podcast, and told them he's the kind of guy that if you develop him correctly can change the skyline in your city. And the Bills are building a new stadium. So he did do that already. And then Patrick Mahomes is the other guy. I've told you guys about my uh, exploits watching him in college football and just, just wanting, you know, always pick the Red Raiders to win games because they have Patrick Mahomes. He's that kind of player. So there's a parallel there between the athlete and the extended play guys with those three I mentioned there with Josh Allen and, and Patrick Mahomes, those two, I should say, with, with Anthony Richardson being the third. But sure enough, that backflip, back handspring, all of that stuff translates to a 4-4-40, the best vertical jump by any quarterback ever, and a broad jump that was in that same territory, best among quarterbacks in this year's class. And I've seen this question posed, what does vertical jump even mean for a quarterback? Well, I saw this broken down by a guy on Twitter named Betts. He does a lot of good like run fit content, a former football coach, great follow. I think he changed his at though, so it's not Betts anymore, but I digress, not important. Uh, he mentioned the rotational capacity and how it generates a greater window for success with the ability to do things physically that other players cannot. So like his mechanical operation has more margin for error because of that athletic or the lack of athletic constraints, I should say, if that makes sense. And that it makes sense to me. I don't know if it does for y'all out there, but now that said, the tape had a lot of accuracy and consistencies and clips from the pocket that make you say, whoa, what happened there? That was a pretty routine dig route that you sailed by five yards over his head. So the reason I go into this, and I saw this debated endlessly on Twitter, is the league is shifting more towards athletes over true pocket passers, right? No, it's not. Like, yeah, the athletic ability and extending of plays, that stuff is great. Don't get me wrong. But did you know that on roughly 90% of NFL plays, the football is out in two and a half seconds? Like, that doesn't incorporate any scrambling ability, any explosiveness. Only three quarterbacks this year average more than three seconds of time to throw on an average drop back or average per drop back basis. Ensure the scrambles and extended plays, throwing off platform makes the highlight reels, and that gets passed around Twitter and it becomes a narrative. And actually, I heard Lance Zerline talking about this both on Twitter and that same around the NFL podcast about how this draft community on Twitter posts the highlights and it creates these narratives that force the general public to have the wrong perception compared to the NFL who thinks things differently because they have the entire body of work. That's, but that's the problem with social media in sports and in life, right? 
you just play your highlights, then someone's going to get the wrong idea of what your life is really like. I personally find more respect in someone that says, yeah, parenting is hard. Yeah. Uh, you know, life is tough right now. Like it's not just my life is awesome all the time. That's not how anybody lives when they show that on social media, that that's a, a front for something. Right. And this isn't some referendum on Anthony Richardson. It's just general discussion that his game sparks because he's arguably the best athlete we've ever seen at the position. And there's lots of flashes on tape as well. But the truth remains winning from the pocket is the best trait any quarterback can have. If we can start there and win that way, then you add the athletic ability. That's when it really pops. That's where it happened for Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. They've mastered the idea of playing the quarterback position against those two high shells that take away deep passing, and you have to stand in the pocket against rush lane contain and pick teams apart that way. Now, we saw Mahomes master it, and really that was part of the Tyreek Hill trade for them. They thought that he could play a different style of football. He proved it right. He's the best quarterback on the planet. He's the best quarterback to ever play. Go talk to a wall about it. Josh Allen had some struggles this year in that regard. He was not patient enough. He forced the issue down the field. He had the most giveaways and the most interceptable footballs this year because he was not as patient, and I think that happens with maybe a little bit of a regressed uh, weaponry. We saw that, you know, Noah Emmanuel Sanders, they, they, you know, Cole Beasley was a, a shell of his former self and an absolute idiot. Um, but, you know, Stephon Diggs was the go-to guy there and they didn't have that, that reliable number two as Gabe Davis kind of struggled on and off here and there. But if you can capture that lightning in a bottle with the Mahomes or Allen style, that's great. But the fact is that those guys are more unicorns than the norm. It's why Jamarcus Russell didn't work out. It's why... We'll see about Jordan Love. I still think he has all the upside in the world. I love his game. I think he's even more gifted than even, you know, Justin Herbert was. It's why, who else can we talk about here? I mean, Malik Willis last year was the same in terms of the, the traits and intangibles, but he, he couldn't play the position. He, he got replaced by Josh Dobbs in, in essentially what was a playoff game for the Titans. So th- there's give and take, but ultimately, you know, I, I with the quarterbacks, you have to be able to win from the pocket. That will never, ever, ever, ever change. So with the quarterbacks, I thought we saw some athletes. I thought we saw some live arms, but still, even after it all, I think my personal QB won CJ Stroud, which tells you where I come down on this argument about traits versus tape. Because what's his game? Pocket, management, and ball placement. I think the ultimate conclusion I personally have is this. Give me all those fun traits that can open up the playbook and make the play caller right when the play call is wrong by extending or or doing something off script. But first and foremost, give me the guy that can win in structure and make the right decisions quickly. That's the important part, quickly making correct decisions. And that's why we go to the tape. It's an intriguing class this year. I think having multiple quarterbacks in the top 10 range always makes for a more exciting draft. And we should get that this year. I personally think we see four go in the top 10, worst case scenario, top 15. As far as your top five athletic scores from next gen stats, Anthony Richardson had the maximum score, 99. He's out of Florida, if you didn't know that already. Clayton Toon from Houston was an 89 second place, so 10 points behind our leader. It's like a 10-stroke lead at the Masters. Malik Cunningham from Louisville, 89 as well. Will Levis from Kentucky, another one of those top four guys, was an 84. And Tyson Badgent from Shepard was an 80. Now, some more notes here. Richardson had the perfect 99 score. That was uh, the best in the entire class. The next four on that list were two corners, an offensive guard, and an edge. I thought you saw... 
in this class, easy gas on the football from Will Levis. Doesn't take much for him to get power and velocity behind the football. That's really all I had. C.J. Stroud was sharp. He's the kind of guy that's going to throw really well on air because he is so sharp with the ball placement, accuracy, and spin. I thought Levis showed the traits, and Richardson proved to be an absolute specimen that we all thought he would be. And I also thought Malik Cunningham spun the football pretty well as well. Good spot for our first break there. That's not really Dolphin-centric, but I think it kind of is with the quarterback debate and, and what really you look for at the position. Let's go ahead and take our first break and come back on the other side and talk about some more positions of need for the Miami Dolphins. That's next. Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Back here on the Wednesday post-combine, post-Alec Ingold interview edition of the Drive Time Podcast. If you have not gone back and checked out that interview with Alec, please do so. It's I, I'm really proud of it. I, I tried to take his book and the lessons and weave them into the Miami Dolphins and his football life. And I think it was pretty successful. Go ahead and check it out and give me your, your thoughts and notes on that. Let's go to the running back position here. And again, that was a fun debate for me for 15 minutes there I start the podcast. But let's get into some more Dolphin-centric notes here. And the running backs position, I mean, we don't have any running backs on the roster right now. That'll change, obviously. I'm, I'm sure some guys will be brought back. I'm sure you can look at some existing veterans in the free agent market. But I think this draft class presents a real opportunity to get better, faster, and more explosive at the position. The real takeaway for me here is just the amount of speed that this position features. That's always been my preference at the position. You guys know about that if you listen to the podcast all the time. Guys who can make a well-blocked play go from 12-yard gains to 70-yard touchdowns. Raheem Mostert has that gear, and that's why he's a priority for me uh, to bring back. And we saw it a handful of times this year. The big run against the Buffalo Bills had that long touchdown against the Cleveland Browns. Uh, there was another long run somewhere else too, but I forget which game it was. This class has dudes that are like that. I think if you can complement that and, and not lose that speed when you take Raheem out of the game, if you can bring him back, would be a major, major boon for this offense. Running the football to me is the next step this group has to take. You know, the offensive line's a, a big thing you debate about and bandied about, but the quarterback to me really maximizes the offensive line's ability to protect. And we saw that with Tua and without Tua, the disparity in sacks allowed, pressures. Well, pressures are kind of the same, but Tua was able to not convert those pressures into sacks or it was able to prevent them from being converted into sacks and again like there's a, I saw a great tweet today Kyle Krabs retweeted it from Lockdown Dolphins and the Dolphins were the fewest sacks allowed team in the NFL for nine years straight it's a Dan Marino stat sacks are a quarterback stat so I think that that's a little bit overblown in terms of the pass protection you know you're going to see it from the, the talking heads on ESPN and whatnot are going to tell you like oh they need a better offensive line well the quarterback makes up for a lot of that and that's why I think running the football can help keep the defense more honest and give you more balance to keep you more from developing tendencies I think that has the biggest tangible impact on this offense. And so the most impressive thing I saw all week outside of, <laughs> to me, Darnell Washington from Georgia is the best player the Dolphins can add this offseason. We'll see if he's there when they pick in the second round. I don't think he will be. Uh, again, going back to Kyle Krabs, he thinks he will be. I don't 
personally see it that way. But just his existence was the most impressive thing I saw in Indianapolis. But the second most impressive thing I saw was the feat of Jameer Gibbs. And it tracked with his tape at Alabama. I think those agility drills and the cut and decision point bag drills are as game day applicable as anything you do on the field in Indianapolis. And just watch the way he keeps his feet under his body or the way the body lean and the feet like stay consistently underneath him. That's where he's so explosive in and out of cuts and why he seems to accelerate when he hits it and goes, but he wasn't like alone in that regard. We saw B John Robinson, just easy moving. Like he was so relaxed in that 40 yard dash. He's going to go easy top 20, probably even higher than that. We saw Deuce Vaughn moving like the jitterbug that he is and how smooth he is as a pass catcher. Like they were on that flat drill where they would catch routes in the flat and turn up field. And I, I really clamor every year about the easy transition from pass catcher to, to ball carrier. And the way he was able to pluck it, put it away, and get up field was just so smooth, like you would see from a wide receiver. Him and Jameer Gibbs led all backs in third down catches this last year in college football. How about the track speed of Devin A-Chain? That guy is amazing. He was flirting with 4-2. He's a hell of a receiver. So is Tajay Spears from Tulane, who uh, killed the Trojans in the in the bowl game, had a great senior bowl. Didn't run the 40, but I'm betting we get a 4-3 guy when he runs it at his pro day. I think you're going to see backs drafted in the third round in this year's class. They're going to be ultra productive as rookies. It's a great class and a great time to have a needed running back in Miami right now. Has no running backs on the roster, but again, that will change prior to the draft. Top five athletic scores here were Denitric Pierce or Prince rather from Tulsa, 89. B. John Robinson, the best back in the class from Texas, 85. Chase Brown from Illinois, 82. Our guy Gibbs, 81. And A. Chain from AM, 79. Those are top five backs in terms of the workouts. Uh, Spears, Tajay Spears, he would have been on that list if he had ran the 40, but he did not because he went 39 inches in the vert, 10-5 in the broad. It's wild. He's so explosive and so powerful in the lower half, and it shows up in the way he pass protects and the way he plays into contact as a runner inside. And then back to Gibbs, there was a cool comp. You know, Jeremiah was tweeting up the uh, printed out sheets of paper comping two players, and he's so good at that. But he was comping Jameer Gibbs to almost identical traits to Jamal Charles, who's one of my all-time favorite backs. 5'11", compared to 5'9 and a half. You know, Charles was 5'11". Both were 200 pounds. 4'38 for Charles, 4'36 for Gibbs. Gibbs got him in the vert by 3 inches, 33 and a half to 30 and a half. And the play styles, to me, is where it really shows the most. And it goes back to the feet. It all starts with the feet. Both those guys were so smooth, so balanced, and so quick uh, without losing that balance, even through contact. Now, I mentioned the offensive line. I think the Dolphins do need to add some some pieces here, and Chris Greer's mentioned that as well, some depth and competition. I think the big takeaway here is the number of athletes you have in this year's class. We've talked about McDaniel's commentary on retraining your brain to play O-line in the scheme, how it's about firing off the football and playing fast more so than reactive. And this really tracks with the modern trend because each year, the gap in athleticism between defensive line and offensive line it grows like rather substantially too. And it probably happened again this year. However, check out this tweet from underdog fantasies, Josh Norris. He does great content, by the way. He writes, since 2010, just 28 offensive linemen have recorded a 447 short shuttle or better at the combine. Those 24 players went on to start 84% of their NFL games. Here's that list. Nate Solder, Anthony Costanzo, Two great tackles. Andre Dillard, go Cougs, but hasn't worked out for him so far. Eric Fisher, number one overall pick, great tackle. Zion Johnson, a guy we were a big fan of last year. Jake Matthews, a franchise left tackle. Joel Batonio, one of the best guards in football. Xavier Suofilo, same deal there. 
Uh, Ali Marpet, uh, Jason Spriggs, James Daniels, Ezra Cleveland, Abe Lucas, Go Cougs, a solid right tackle rookie for the Seahawks last year. Joe Noteboom, Zach Tom, an absolute monster rookie last year for the Packers. John Urschel, Joe Haig, Jason Kelsey, a Hall of Famer, David Questenberry, Jeff Baca, Matt Paradis, Chase Bruyé, and James Leno Jr. I mean, that is a great list of players. Who hit that threshold this year? Only John Gaines from UCLA. Boise's John Ojoku and Ohio State's Luke Weipler were within a half second of the threshold. Cody Mock and John Michael Schmitz within 0.9 seconds. And we've heard how impressive both they are athletically, and you see it on tape. For me, Mach and Michael Schmitz are going to be good players on the interior offensive line. Those are options for you uh, for Miami. I think possibly in the in at pick 52 Mach would also finish second behind gains in the three cone 731 to 733 that's a great number for both those guys and then Blake Freeland was fourth at 746 we saw Miami go get Teron Armstead last year one of the greatest athletes the position has ever seen and that was true for Connor Williams at guard even more true for him at center Rob Hunt has for my money a pro bowl year last year go back and watch his Louisiana tape and he's the first guy off the football and just plays fast at all times Austin Jackson is a great athlete as well. So you can see the idea percolating behind which guys might be the best fit for this offensive line. And yeah, they're somewhat rare, but you can see that there are more guys that hit that threshold than in most years, or at least came close to it. I mean, it's pretty much one guy a year. But the top five athletic scores for tackles this year, Blake Freeland from BYU was 88. Broderick Jones from Georgia was 85. Darnell Wright from Tennessee, 85 as well. Earl Bostick Jr. from Kansas hit 82. And Jalen Duncan from Maryland hit 82. Among guards and centers, John Gaines was first, obviously 98. He led all offensive linemen. Sidney So from Eastern Michigan was 86. Nick Saladivari from Old Dominion was 84. And John Ojoku from Boise State was 82. Uh, yeah, he got on both of those lists somehow. <clears throat> and then Luke Weipler from Ohio State, 81. Uh, just the general notes here. You know, I mentioned running back drills as being the most informative and th- those bag drills and applicable being applicable to NFL games. I think the offensive line drills are a close second. That old rabbit drill, like now it's just a coach where it shows their movement skills and a kick slide, their change of direction to redirect, and just their overall fluidness. I, I thought you saw some guys show that they're heavy footed, but you also saw some smooth movers like Broderick Jones, who really checked the box for me here. You know, he locked up a spot in the first round, probably top 20 with that showing. But again, this is a class that has rare movement. And and again, to refer to that Norris tweet, uh, back to the Jeremiah comps, you know, for Jones, Broderick Jones, Jack Conklin, they're separated by a fraction of height, uh, three pounds in weight, a quarter inch arm length, same vertical, and Jones bested the athletic score 85 to 81. I mentioned Darnell Wright ran the third fastest 40 by an offensive lineman who's over 330 pounds since 2003. He ran a 501. If he somehow is there at 52, he won't be run the card up unless it's Darnell Washington. I'm going to give you my list of guys for, for 52 here in a second. Uh, I think it's a good crop of guys who could go day two, early day three to develop. Blake Freeland's a good example of that. I saw a great tweet that said, you're not drafting Blake Freeland for who he is today, but who you think he could be in three years. And that's perfect because I think he's got all the makings to be the next great wide zone tackle. His tape screams it, but it's not all refined just yet. Needs some more seasoning, needs some more NFL strength training, I think. And it's that's the case for most prospects, unless you go like top 10. That's why you take guys in the top 10 because they're polished products for the most part. But a sub 540 at that size with his jumping metrics have 
mercy. Let's go ahead and take our last break right there and come back on the other side and do tight ends and wide receivers and move on to the defensive side of the football. Long podcast today. That's next drive time podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. I find it funny how I reduce down to three shows in the off season and then I wind up doing 45 minute shows that basically gives you five episodes a week as it is. Can't help myself. That's how it's going to go on this podcast today as well. Let's go ahead and pick it back up at the tight end class. And I mean, forgive me for this becoming the Darnell Washington podcast, but did you guys see his sled work and the on-field drills? There's a clip of him pushing a sled and I don't know how heavy those things are. There's one plate on the back of it, but I know the the piping and the pads, and it's all, you know, probably a couple hundred pounds. But he pushes it with total ease eight yards down the field. Then they cut to some of the other tight ends out there pushing the same sled, and it's a struggle for two or three yards. And that's a carryover from the tape, right? He's the most dominant inline blocking tight end I've scouted since George Kittle. He's unreal. And what a class this is. I think if it could cannibalize itself a little bit in the sense that teams could look back at their tight end need or whatever and see that there are five or six guys they like and think they can come back later and get one around after the fact without having a huge drop in talent and value. It's a fantasy football approach as well. Like, oh, the running back class is deep right here. I'm going to go ahead and pass right now. I'll come back on the backswing and get it, you know, and around later. Top five athletic scores here, Zach Kuntz from UCLA, 94. My guy D-Dub from Georgia, 91. Sam Laporta from Iowa, 86. Luke Musgrave from Oregon State was 86. That's about where we expected him to be. And then Will Mallory from Miami, the Florida school, 84. Uh, Darnell Washington clocked the fastest short shuttle by a player weighing at least 260 pounds since Frank Clark recorded a 405 in 2015. Washington was 408. It's just freaky, freaky movement skills. His six four, uh, 464 40-yard dash was the fourth fastest by a tight end weighing 260-plus pounds at the Combine since 03. 46444th fastest. How's that sound? His 102 broad was the second longest by a tight end in that time span as well, and only four tight ends since 06 ran a faster 20-yard shuttle than Washington. Two of those guys were 241 pounds. Two of them were 254 pounds. Washington's 264 at 6 foot 7. Different type of breed. <clears throat> the wide receivers I think we saw the best prospects show their value from an athletic standpoint. Quentin Johnson from TCU is wide receiver one for me, and he went out there and solidified that. I was excited to see Zay Flowers go, and, and Daniel Jeremiah has a comp with him next to Tyler Lockett, one of my favorite receivers for the Seahawks. A fraction of an inch difference in height, both 182 pounds, 4.42 and a 4.4 for Lockett. Both 35 and a half inches on the vertical. Both those guys will go in the first day of the draft. Top five athletic scores were Quentin Johnston from TCU, 96. Jalen Hyatt from Tennessee, 89. He can scoot, man. Matt Landers from Arkansas, 89. Jackson Smith and Jigba, Ohio State, 89. And Bryce Ford Wheaton from West Virginia, 88. Jackson Smith and Jigba recorded a 393 short shuttle, which was the fastest by a wide receiver since Brandon Cooks ran a 381 back in 2014. Now that was before the podcast or before I became a podcaster, but there wasn't a bigger Brandon Cooks fan than I, and I love Jackson Smith and Jigba. He's a first round pick, so it's not even a question we'll have to ask, but man, the thought of adding a player like him to Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill would be just an embarrassment of riches. He would complement those guys perfectly, that play style. And it seems like every year there's always four or five positions where fans are like, ah, they're not going to go in that direction for the Dolphins or for any team. 
but just draft good players. Like that's always the way to go. That's why I want to talk about wide receivers in this draft process. We're going to talk about the good players regardless of what position they play. Interior defensive line, flipping over the defensive side of the football. Kalijah Canty had himself an Aaron Donald day, didn't he? Fastest 40 of any defensive tackle since 03, besting Donald, and the top athletic score of anyone in this class. That Donald comp, both are 6'1", 281 pounds for Canty, 285 for Donald, 467 compared to 468. Now Canty was six points shy of Donald's 98 athletic score, but the same jersey and helmet, both from Pitt. Top five guys among interior defensive line. Uh, Cansey was 94. Jalen Redman from Oklahoma was 89. Moro Ojomo from Texas, 78. Tyler Lacey from Oklahoma State was 77. And Keanu Benton from Wisconsin, 76, a guy we talked about a lot. I was curious to look at players in terms of their weight they performed at. Uh, the guys that had top performances with large weights because nose tackle, I think, is an area to look at. Who stands out there but Keanu Benton, who goes 315 pounds. We raved about him at Senior Bowl week, and those metrics at that size are impressive. But he might be a tweener. I'm not exactly sure where he lands. I think those numbers say true three technique in an even front, maybe even the one technique as well, because the five tech in an odd front probably aren't that big, and then a true nose is going to be closer to 330 or 340. So how about Keandre Coburn from Texas? The former Longhorn is 343 pounds, 8'5 broad, 27.5 inch vertical. That illustrates some rare power and explosion. Those nose tackles typically don't hear their name called until later, so I'm curious to see where he goes. But if you get back into like early day three and you can land a Coburn to be a 30% nose tackle, like that's a really good value in the middle of the draft. Just something to think about in terms of positional drafting and value uh, at spots that, you know, we talked about Ben Solak or with Ben Solak from the ringer on last Friday's podcast. And he said, we have the cornerstones in place. Now it's time to fill out the margins. Guys like that is what you're talking about at the edge position. How crazy athletic is Nolan Smith? man? <laughs> we didn't see him play down the stretch this year at Georgia, but I still think he belongs in the top 10, especially after this workout. And Jeremiah compared him to Hassan Reddick. Uh, Smith is six, two and a quarter compared to Reddick at six, one. 237 pounds for both those guys. Uh, they both have 23 and 5 8 or 33 rather and 5 8 inch arm length and they had 78 and 77 production scores in college. It's a next gen stat. And again, back to the idea of athletes on the D-line versus O-line. This D-line class averaged 463 in the 40-yard dash. That was the fastest average of any edge group since 2003. They just keep getting more athletic. Top 5 scorecards at Tatamuye Adebore from Northwestern was 97. He was a freak. You saw him for sure. Yaya Diaby from Louisville, 90. Nolan Smith, 85. Keon White from G-Tech was 84. And Byron Young from Tennessee was 82. Adebore was something, wasn't he? First rounder all day. He just blew up the combine. You get some really intriguing players in this crop that maybe showed you that they can play both off the ball as well as their position down on the edge. Sorting through tweeners and finding out who can specialize right away is one of the tougher tasks GMs have and and coaches as well uh, each year, especially this year. Let's move off the football to linebackers. Three guys had top-of-the-line workouts. Then there was a little bit of a drop-off. I was surprised my guy Dayon Henley didn't register higher than this. was wrong about his 40 time. But you had one player really stand out above the rest, especially when you consider that his tape shows a three-way player by way of Jack Campbell, downhill, backwards, and side-to-side. I saw him mocked 
in the second and sometimes third round, but I think he's going to be the first linebacker off the board after this workout. He's the only linebacker since 03 who was 6'4 or taller to jump more than 37 inches on the vert and 10'8 on the broad and then also run a sub 4'7. That's freaky traits. Uh, your top five linebackers in athletic score was Campbell at 89, Owen Papo from Auburn at 89, Trenton Simpson from Clemson 88, then our drop off to Anthony Orgy. Uh, from Vandy, 83, and Dorian Williams, who's an absolute thumper at Tulane. He was 81. Back to Henley. It wasn't, it was really just the 40 that I was, that was lower than I thought it was going to be, but the rest was great. 35-inch vertical, 10-5 broad. Both of those were top five among linebackers. He's explosive as hell, and those stats show that. At cornerback, just an unbelievably impressive class. I keep going back to Juju Brents, Julius Brents from Kansas State. Uh, He came out this out of this as the ultimate prototype for the position, maybe even a slot cornerback with rare, rare length to play inside. And that's after a great week in Mobile for the Senior Bowl. And granted, this is with a 4-5-40, but he destroyed the change of direction metrics. A shuttle uh, right around four seconds, a three-cone under seven seconds. That's like Tyreek Hill numbers. Those times paired with his play style of aggressiveness and length gives him a chance to end the rep immediately. And then if he misses initially, the chance to recover. So two chances to win the rep. It's like going for it on fourth down, right? You give yourself a chance to win on offense and then on defense on the back end. We like different ways to win games. Uh, Top five athletic scores, Deontay Banks from Maryland, 98. DJ Turner from Michigan, 97. Both those guys were top five across the entire group. Jacorian Bennett, also from Maryland, 96. Athletes up there in the DMV. Christian Gonzalez from Oregon, 88. And Emmanuel Forbes from Mississippi State was 86. Uh, This was the most impressive group of the week. The speed, the change of direction, it's a great offset to all the talent we've seen enter the league at wide receiver over the last few years. And Daniel Jeremiah, who we can now call a friend of the podcast, by the way, has been saying for years on Move the Sticks that encourage your kids to flip over to corner from wide receiver because with all these passing camps and all these kids that are playing receiver, it generates tons of talent at that position. But the cornerback position has not been as popular and you have a faster route to scholarships, NFL playing time if you play that spot. And he said he thinks that's starting to happen here a little bit. And this class is evident of that. Joey Porter Jr. is a first-round pick for days, and I love his game. And I love the game that Move the Sticks plays, where if you can't get that guy in the first round, who's an analog that might be available to get later on? Well, again, how about this side-by-side from Porter and Brents? A quarter-inch difference in height, five pounds in weight. Both have 34-inch arms. You can scratch your knees standing up. And Brents has Porter in the wingspan, 82 and 5-8 to 80 and 7-8. And to clarify... Brent is on the high end of all those comps, so he's more physically imposing than Joey Porter Jr. Christian Gonzalez hit the elite thresholds for next gen in the 40-yard dash with a 4.38 and a 41.5-inch vertical. He's going to be long gone by the time we pick. But my guy, Trevius Hodges Tomlinson, acquitted himself nicely. 39-inch vertical, 11-foot broad, and a 4.4140. That might have pushed him into high day two, maybe even out of our range. But I think he has a shot going round one as well. I like his game a heck of a lot. How about his 4-4-1 being bested by seven corners? And in that group, I think there's at least five day one, day two picks. I think you're going to see some cornerbacks on the board in the middle of the second round that would be first round picks most years. And back to that tight end conversation, maybe the value gets depressed a little bit because there's so many of them. That's good news for the Dolphins at both those positions and the running back positions, three areas of, of need right now. Safety, top five athletic scores, Sidney Brown from Illinois, 89. Jason Taylor, not that guy, Oklahoma State, 88. Daniel Scott from Cal, 
87. Brandon Hill from Pitt was 81. And Chamari Connor from Virginia Tech was 78. Interesting year here for the safety position. I'm not crazy about the draft class. Um, and it has become so much of a matchup specialty position as there is really in the league. It's why I think we're so lucky to have Javon Holland because he can truly specialize in anything you do on a given week. You need 30 snaps in the post, got it. Need him to rush the edge 15 times, done. Want to have a matchup in the slot, tight end, quarterback spy, good, I can do those too. But also, back to the draft, this free agent class at safety is arguably the best one out there. And so I wonder how those two things kind of play off each other. We'll talk about the free agent class in the Friday and Monday podcast, but Jesse Bates, Von, Von Bell, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, Jordan Poyer, it's four really good players, four Pro Bowl-level players with four different skill sets. Lots to like there. As, as for the draft guys, five guys under 4'5", which is pretty good for the position. Sidney Brown checking in at 4'47 was what we expected, wanted to see from him. I think he's the best matchup guy in the class. He can cover man up against tight ends and backs. His teammate, Jartarius Martin, topped his score there. Then Brandon Hill and Daniel Scott from Pitt and Cal, respectively. It was the same cast in the vert and broad leaderboard. And sure enough, those guys are all big hitters too. Those two things typically correlate. I was going to go around the web here to finish the podcast up, but there's not much out there from a Dolphins perspective, which tends to be the case where you're not part of the top you know, 10 picks, 25 picks, 50 picks. Uh, but here's Peter King's Football Morning in America, Daniel Jeremiah's three workout takeaways, C.J. Stroud, Ohio State quarterback at 6'3", 214, best peer passer in the draft, and he had what I would call a graceful workout. I've been to workouts that are overpowering. Stroud was smooth and natural. He's a born thrower. Yeah, man, that's what quarterbacking's all about and decision-making. Number two, Kalijah Canty from Pitt. Not often a player's taller than advertised at his event, but Canty was delivered on the explosiveness we thought we'd see. In a passing league, a disruptive player like this won't get out of the first round. And then Charlie Jones, wide receiver from Purdue, 5'11", 175. Not a great receiver year, but he ran fast, 4'4", and had a phenomenal overall workout. Might have worked himself into the third round. So just kind of random notes there from Daniel Jeremiah. Lastly here, I wanted to list some guys that I think start to make sense to kind of round out your, your short list or your big board. It's tough to do it at 52 compared to years past, doing it at 6 or 18 or whatever it might be. Um, but how about guys that can both impact 2023 and be immediate contributors, but also long-term fixtures? Now, maybe all these guys are gone, but today this list to me looks like this. Running back, Jameer Gibbs. Tight end, Darnell Washington. Four guys on the offensive line. Broderick Jones, Darnell Wright, Cody Motch, and John Michael Schmitz. I think all of them will be gone, but those are the guys that if any of them fall, I'm going to debate for a long time to draft them. Uh, linebacker Jack Campbell, cornerbacks Julius Brents and Trevius Hodges Tomlinson, and then some additional names that maybe your day three targets or guys that you might see sneaking up in that range. That range. Uh, running back, Tulane's Tajay Spears, Kansas State's Deuce Vaughn, Illinois's Chase Brown. Tight end, I just don't think I like the blocking ability of anybody anywhere near what Darnell Washington gives you. Maybe Tucker Craft. On the offensive line, Matthew Bergeron from Syracuse. Linebacker, Dayon Henley from Washington State. Go Cougs. And then the cornerback position, Keely Ringo from Georgia and Emmanuel Forbes from Mississippi State. All right, that's a podcast. Friday and Monday are going to crack into the top 101 free agent list from Greg Rosenthal, NFL.com. I'll talk about what stands out from that list as we get closer and closer to the new league year. One week away as of this publishing. Keep it locked right here. In the meantime, you all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank podcast as well as all the international podcasts on the network. Check out the YouTube channel for Dolphins Today, Media Availabilities, my Alec Ingold sit down. Go back and check it out three or four more times. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline and Cameron, daddy. Thank you.
he's coming home.